When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. well over a hundred of these now we've got something new it's not new from the standpoint that i'm accompanied by a murray yeah whose last name begins with m but uh, and there's nothing new about this murray believe me (laughs) (laughs) if if you don't recognize this person this is of course uh the one of the great political columnists of all time dale eisler (laughs) dale it's uh, oh sorry (laughs) murray mandrick is a leader post political columnist to for most of my career here, his his, um, his appearances in the Leader Post actually predate my career by four years. Somehow, we're both still alive. I so, don't know how that happens. <laughs> hi, Rob. Thanks for inviting but we're, me. Hi, we're we're going to talk football. Uh, Murray yes. is a uh, a football aficionado himself. Uh, to his discredit, he's a fan of the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, yes. And as a native Manitoban. Um, he uh, grew up following the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Who yeah, I have bomber are, tendencies, no. yes. So, um, but I'm but totally unbiased. Talk... <laughs> of course, so we're gonna, we're going to talk about the Rough Riders, however, today, and and Murray uh, Murray's going to kind of lead the discussion by steering me in in various directions. Hopefully, I don't send us off somewhere uh, into the ether. But, well, uh, thanks for for inviting me. Uh, it makes way more sense because. I was going to say that Rob probably knows more about football than anybody in the CFL, but after that Dale Eiser comment, maybe I'll save that. <laughs> but he knows a hell of a lot about the Riders. So I'm going to ask you the first question regarding your column. And let's just rift off that for a moment, because you did not think it was a brilliant idea to play Cody Fajardo with his knee this particular game. And you were worried about the outcome of that the absolute disaster did not occur in the sense that he got through the game with that knee brace and no further damage, which he said. But thinking about that, there's a psychological thing right now emerging from this game, I think, that makes it pretty pivotal in the CFL year for the Riders. What do you think the outcome of playing Fajardo in this particular game will be to both Cody Fajardo and the team going forward? Because we're at the halfway point of the season, and this is the third loss in a row. And uh, we have the coach now saying that the quarterback is pretty frustrated going into the break. Tell me how all this plays out, Rob, in your mind, and, and, and particularly going forward as we now look at the break and going into a tougher schedule that we'll talk about in a moment. I just can't see how this is a good up- outcome for the Rough Riders, Murr. I really can't. Um, even if Cody Fajardo doesn't sustain further damage to the, uh, to the left knee, and there's 10 games remaining against teams that 
know very well that he has an injured left knee. Uh, to me, I just I think this really puts a ceiling on, on the degree to which the Rough Riders can progress. Uh, first and foremost, they've got an offensive line that is demonstratedly porous, and nothing has been done to this point to improve it. Um, so there's that. So you've got a quarterback who I think at best is going to be 70% for the duration of the season. And you've also got a quarterback who is missing a crucial element of his game. And that, that if you're relying on Cody Fajardo purely as a passer, you're not going to get Nathan Rourke. You're not going to get Bo Levi Mitchell. You're not going to get Zach Kalaros. But what you, what you get with Cody Fajardo that few other CFL quarterbacks can offer under ideal conditions is someone who is a factor along the ground. Mobility. mobility is not only a factor as far as gaining yards along the ground, but also in extending plays and uh, improvising a bit and allowing a, a busted play to turn into something that's very profitable. And right now you have a code there. You have a, uh, they're basically asking Cody Fajardo to be Ken Austin and you can't, he's not that quarterback and it's unfair to expect that of him. And uh, so you, you combine that with, there's there's the first candy cameo. Um, you you combine that with uh, um, a bad offensive line and and questionable strategy at times. I just think that this puts a very low ceiling on what the Rough Riders can accomplish this season because re- realistically, hum, you can't expect Cody Fajardo to get any better than he is health wise uh, without significant recuperative time, and that just isn't possible. Even a bye week just isn't enough. I I wouldn't think. Well, let, let's talk about the game in terms of, before we go into what, what, what it looks like going forward with the bye week, because I want to understand a little bit better how much of a factor Fajardo was in that second half collapse versus everything else we've, uh, uh, every, every other thing that was factoring. We had a, a whole bunch of other problems. The open line shows were highly critical of Rogers on the offensive line. Uh, Duke Williams obviously did not have his best game. Uh, of the year by any stretch of the imagination everybody in Saskatchewan always blames the quarterback unless the quarterback has a perfect game or it's a spectacular win Uh, right now uh, I don't suppose Cody Fajardo is as popular as he has been but I don't sense that what happened in that game can be totally blamed on Fajardo in any sense of the imagination I think there were way too many other factors uh, for that second uh, half collapse. So break it down for me, Rob. What did you see going wrong in that uh, second half or late in the first quarter, I guess, when uh, Rourke engineered that last uh, drive that kind of turned the game around into that situation where they scored 28 straight points? Well, it's, this started with uh, Mario Alford running the missed field goal out of the end zone, being tackled on the two, and then uh, Jamal Morrow running laterally in a situation where he's absolutely not regarding be running laterally and getting tackled in the end zone for a safety. And everything unraveled from there. Uh, after that, the Rough Riders had only five first downs the rest of the game. They had less, far less than, far fewer than 100 yards in net offense. It was just a mess. And BC basically had twice as many plays from scrimmage beyond after that uh, safety touch, uh, as did Saskatchewan. Um, there were plays that were there that just through bad luck didn't materialize. There was one play in the third quarter where, where Duke Williams ran a quick slant and there was really nobody between him and the goal line. Cody Vajardo threw the pass when it should have been thrown and presumably in the direction it should have been thrown and the pass gets knocked down at the line of scrimmage. So what are you going to do sometimes? And there was a there was a play earlier in the game where Duke Williams was open on the Toronto 25 for what should have been a 38-yard 30, touchdown and Cody just missed him. 
So you can pin that one on Cody Fajardo. You can pin a couple of other errant throws on him. Uh, you can also say that Duke Williams has to play at a, at a far higher level and make some of those tough catches. He's the second highest paid receiver in the league. And you expect, uh, I think, a commensurate level of production. I don't think they're getting that out of Duke Williams. And this is a Riders receiving core that's already missing Shaq Evans and is missing Tyran Moore. So with the playmakers that they do have, have to come through. And I don't think the people around Cody Fajardo are doing him any favors. But fundamentally, it comes down to the fact, I, I think it's it's he should be applauded for even being out there. I'm not sure that, that the organization should be applauded for putting him out there. But given given that he is out there and doing what he can with the physical limitations that he faces, and uh, how do you step into a throw properly with a with a with a compromised left knee? Uh, how do you how do you operate with confidence in the pocket when you've got the worst offensive line in the Canadian Football League, uh, probably for the second consecutive year? Uh, how do you play your game when you just are limited physically from from demonstrating the entire repertoire of your skills. So yeah, there's a few throws that the Cody Fajardo should have made, but there's just a lot of plays that he can't make because his mobility is so impeded. And uh, like I said earlier, I just, the riders are going to try and ride with this, obviously. I just don't know how far it can take them. Well, should they be um, trying to ride with it? Because they they just don't they don't have they don't have a healthy quarterback. Well, th- that's an interesting point because I, I think you make a compelling case that it's not just a Fajardo problem. It, it, there's several other things going on, and, and maybe you want to get into whether the other criticism was as warranted as it is. But at this particular point, halfway through the season, because of uh, Fajardo's health and because of the relative inexperience of the uh, backup uh, options for the riders right now do the riders need a better backup plan should they be looking at trading for uh, uh, vernon adams adams jr or someone else like that i don't know who else is sort of available in the in cfl but he comes to mind what would be the power move right now for the riders uh, uh in the event or uh in uh, that they might have to deal with the Pajardo situation more directly or are there other needs more desperate uh, to uh, the Riders right now than trading for another backup quarterback? Well, I think the, the number one need for this team is to upgrade the offensive line. Uh, you could put Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes behind this offensive line. It wouldn't do any good if you can't protect the quarterback. I, I remember 1979 when the Riders got Tom Clements, mm-hmm. played at a Hall of Fame level before joining the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, played at a Hall of Fame level, yeah. including with your Winnipeg Blue Bombers after joining the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, yeah. after leaving the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. With the Rough Riders, for eight games in 1979, he threw two touchdown passes and 11 interceptions. Why? The offensive line in front of him was a completely rebuilt unit consisting of young offensive linemen, and he was running for his life. I don't think the situation is quite as frantic as it was in 79, but it's sure close. I haven't seen an offensive line this permeable since 1979. So I used the Tom Clements example. I don't know what you can put. It just doesn't matter who you put behind that offensive line. If that offensive line is not going to be upgraded, the conundrum and the problem facing the Rough Rider Brass right now is if there's an offensive lineman who can improve your situation, um, He's probably playing somewhere already. Well, how do you build, how, how do you rebuild camp? halfway through the season, Rob? Because that's the tough part. That's the problem. Yeah, the, the, the they, problem. they need to gel. Is it starting with Rogers? Do we need to upgrade on tackle? Do we need to? Well, the the, the, the American the American tackles have been a huge disappointment this year. Maybe not a disappointment because I'm not sure a lot was expected of them, but they sure they certainly haven't performed consistently well, and uh, that that should be a, an easier thing to upgrade than than the. Uh, 
the Canadians on the offensive line. Um, and I don't, I don't pretend that they've been you know, Fort Knox either, but when you look at supply and demand, there's a lot more, there should be a lot more American tackles that can, can are available and can play at some point than uh, Canadian offensive linemen who are paid a premium because of their, their scarcity, not necessarily scarcity, but their value and their impact on the ratio. So, um, I mean, we've seen the Ty Rogers for eight games. Now it should be obvious that, uh, Something needs needs to be done there. Both American tackles have not played well. Now the problem is, where do you get one? Um, you probably have to wait till NFL cuts. So you're talking beyond. You're talking early September. By that point, the referees will be well past the midway point of their schedule. Then you have to. In, then they have to come here. Then you have to integrate them into the lineup. Um, is there enough time for that to, to be a factor? I think I think this battle was lost in the offseason. It was lost by Jeremy O'Day, himself a former offensive lineman, who knew coming into the season, everybody uh, knew that this offensive line had to be upgraded. And it wasn't upgraded, and this is on Jeremy O'Day. And I think uh, Craig Dickinson, Cody Pajardo, pretty much everybody is paying the price right now because Jeremy O'Day didn't off, uh, upgrade the offensive line when there was every indication that that had to be done. Let's look at the, for a moment at, at some of the more fun aspects of this game because I, I don't think the season's anywhere near lost for the Riders. They have the crossover, and we'll go into that in a moment of whether that's going to be as easy or as uh, an effective route as some people think. But there were great building blocks still with this team and great elements in the game. I, there were certain elements of the game that I that I found joyful to watch. And one of them the, on the Riders' side of the ball is that linebacking core. It kind of reminds me of a lot of the great linebacking cores in the 70s and 80s uh, that I used to watch because I'm really old. And uh, uh, But... <laughs> What Greg, they are doing, you, you saw Greg Battle and, and Tyrone, Tyrone <laughs> exactly. Jones and James Tyrone, West. Ty Jones, so. James West, are you kidding me? Like it kind of reminded me of that. Actually, no one's going with a four set anymore, but uh, but they could in, in in Saskatchewan. And the only reason that I think that they wouldn't is once they get uh, Robertson back, once they get Marino back, they're going to have a tremendous. Uh, uh, defensive line too so I think the building block there is with that defense going into that tough part of the schedule you had to be a little bit optimistic about not only what you saw from that defense uh, in the first half but they played hard all game even though things obviously uh, fell apart probably through exhaustion because the offense wasn't doing much and they were on the field so much but that's a really good place for the, for the riders to start the rebuild or to to basically build into the second half of the season, isn't it? That defense is, is still pretty solid. Well, if you look at last season when the Riders, I mean, they, they, they played a meaningless game in Hamilton at the end of the year. It didn't matter whether they won or lost it. They lost it. But in games that meant something last year, they were 9-4. and four. And that was largely on the, on the strength of the defense because after a 3-0 and o start, um, the, the team really leveled off offensively. And they're, they're sort of where, where last season, to the guts of last season, they're sort of where they are now. They got a bad offensive line and a quarter, you know, an offense that just isn't really producing. So, but the defense carried them to a uh, to a nine and what proved to be a nine and five record, but nine and four in games that meant something. And and uh, and they won a playoff game against the Calgary Stampeders and gave Winnipeg a really good run in the in the West final. So, yeah, the pieces are there on defense. They're going to get AC Leonard back at, at some point. Uh, that linebacking core is as good as uh, it's the best one I've seen here since Cleveland Van Roger Gorey and Bill Manchuk in the mid to late 1970s. Uh, that that was, was a great core. I think Absolutely. that's where the bar is set. And this is, this is, it could be, 
historically as historically good or even better than that one. So uh, there is that. It, it, it reduces the pressure on the offense to put up you know, 30, 40 points a game. Uh, but the problem is, can, they, can this offense, as currently constituted, um, put up enough points uh, to, to, to get the Rough Riders by? Uh, you look at what you look at the you look at the the difference in the CFL from this year to last. It just seems to be the offenses are a lot more potent, and so good luck trying to. Uh, you're not you're only you're not going to hold Winnipeg to a to nothing. You're not going to hold BC to nothing. Um, you know Calgary's got lots of pieces. So how much can you reasonably expect of the defense? You can't ask them to hold everybody to eight or nine points, and. Uh, that's the problem. The offense has got to do enough to get by. And I'm not sure with that personnel, they can, they can, you know, scale the bar that isn't as set, especially high because the defense does give them the luxury of not having to, you know, put the Rough Riders in a situation where they're in a shootout. Well, there was a really good team on the other side of the ball that that defense uh, was playing. And and it, it has everything to do with, with Nathan Rourke. And, as a CFL fan, um, I'm sure you must enjoy just absolutely watching what you're seeing him. He oh, is not a good Canadian goodness. quarterback. He's a great quarterback, a great young quarterback. I loved watching that. And uh, just to see him in person, I mean, you see the high, you hear all the hype and read all the hype, but then to see in person how tremendous he is. And then you think he's very, just get started as a professional football player. The quickness of the release, the, the perfection of the mechanics, and, and the uh, just the the manner in which the ball is thrown, the, the velocity and the touch, um, it's it. I have not enjoyed watching a quarterback purely throw a football in person that much since Henry Burris. And before Henry Burris, it was Warren Moon. And that's the kind of stratosphere that I think he is in in terms of just being aesthetically astonishing to watch. And uh, there was a game earlier this year and. He threw a 61-yard touchdown pass to Pearson, and the pass was, I think, 61 or 62 yards in the air. The receiver was pretty well covered, and he dropped it right in his hands for a, for a long touchdown pass. That is the best throw I've ever seen anywhere. Like, wow. it was just amazing. So I, I kind of had that play in the back of my mind coming into the game last week where am I going to see something in person that is as awe-inspiring as that long touchdown pass that he threw? That scrambled the rhymes by close. I, I'm sorry? That scramble to rhymes might have been close. Like oh, we just picked. Yes. Yeah. You just waited and, for that uh, opportunity, that window to open. That like, that, he's not only a, a gifted athlete; he's a smart young kid. Yeah, yeah. He really I mean, the presence that he has about him, and and it doesn't help when the Rough Riders rush three guys and give him forever in the pocket. I mean, and the touchdown pass to to rhymes, and rhymes made the one handed catch. He had about six seconds to throw, and that's a, that's twice as much as a quarterback would usually welcome. You get three seconds, you're in pretty good shape. Six, good night. You know, even if you have nine people back in coverage, uh, I don't think you have to be Nathan Rourke to to, to beat a defense with with uh, six seconds to throw. But when you are Nathan Rourke and you have that much time, and again, he, he had the luxury of that time because the Rough Riders defensive line was so depleted yeah. due to uh, bad judgment by Garrett Marino and unfortunate uh, circumstances befalling Pete Robertson and, and A.C. Leonard. Um with a, with a regular defensive line, uh, Ace, uh, Nathan Work would have been under more pressure and had less time than he enjoyed on Friday night. But I, I just, as one who loves the Canadian Football League, as one who loves football, I just sat back and just 
I think I was really driving people nuts in the press box because kept booing and eyeing and marveling <laughs> and you know drooling over these passes that were just so amazing. And uh, again, you don't you don't get a chance to see someone like that very often. BC is back here in August. Go see this kid play in person. It's absolutely stunning to see. Well, it, it, it certainly makes life more difficult for the riders in the West, because if I remember your picks, you had the riders at third, uh, and I don't think anybody, in fairness to you, you're always lousy picks. That was wildly optimistic, wasn't yeah, it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and may I emphasize how lousy your picks always are, but in, in, in fairness <laughs> to your lousy picks, I don't think anybody anticipated BC doing what they're doing right now uh, in terms of this, which brings us to the real problem the riders have right now. Ten games left. I think they have six at home, or six on the road and four at home. Uh, I think seven of those games, if I remember right, are against Calgary. Um, uh, they got and three. They got two left against BC, three against Winnipeg, and two against Calgary. And that's a, a combined record of seventeen and three. Two against Edmonton and one against Hamilton. Yeah, which and, uh, and I, I think even sort of the Hamilton and Edmonton games, just because of circumstances, might be a little little tough. But what is the path right now to? Uh, to clinching a West playoff spot, or you know, I, I and I guess maybe there's a little fear that Edmonton's going to get its act together right now, and it might because they're bringing in all kinds of people. Is is I think you're suggesting the riders uh, have to. But what is the path in the West? Because in 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 fairness to the riders, I've seen them rally before post Labor Day, uh, starting with that Winnipeg game uh, that they usually uh, win on Labor uh, Labor Day or have traditionally, even when the Bombers have had pretty good teams, uh, they sometimes surprise the hell out of you in terms of the Calgary games. I think they're learning from the BC game. Is there a path going forward uh, for the riders in the West, given the reality that something happens to other teams' quarterbacks and injury lists too, uh, that something uh, always happens? Is, is there a logical path for them in the West right uh, now to secure at least uh, one of the top three spots and not have to worry about the well, crossover? It's both a hindrance and a blessing, I think, for the Rough Riders. The good news is they're playing a lot of West teams and a lot of the upper echelon West teams for the remainder of the season. The bad news is that they're playing a lot of West, West teams, teams <laughs> the upper echelon teams. You know, it's what you do with those those games. And, and um, I mean, they have an opportunity to atone for a 4-4 a four and four start because they're playing a pile of what you would call four-pointers down the road. Now, what's the what's the likelihood of them catching up to those teams given the 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 uh some of the circumstances that we've previously cited the defense i think you can look at that and say it's going to get better i'm not sure you can have the same level of optimism with the offense unless somehow they can miraculously protect a hobbled quarterback i think that's an issue that's going to dog them for the remainder of the season i just wonder if the realistic discussion and one that was certainly relevant or more relevant when they were four and one was back then it was how do you keep pace with these with these west teams there's so many good ones now i think the the real situation is could the rough riders preserve a playoff spot because you look at the games against you got winnipeg edmonton calgary uh, pardon me you got winnipeg bc calgary uh down the stretch but you've also got two games at edmonton against edmonton they've got three out of four against bc one of them has already been played the exception there is bc You've got three out of four against, uh, I'm sorry, the exception there is Edmonton. You've got three out of four against Winnipeg. The exception there is Edmonton. And to just, just simply protect a playoff berth, they've got to win those games against Edmonton. To me, those two games against Edmonton 
are far more important is than the the games against Winnipeg, uh, BC, and Calgary because you beat Edmonton, you pretty much guaranteed yourself a, in the remaining two times. You pretty much guaranteed yourself a crossover, and being that they've lost so much ground to tough teams, I don't think you can expect them to go through suddenly catch fire and win nine or ten games and gain a bunch of uh, gain a bunch of ground. I think looking at the caliber of the opposition, you think they'd be lucky if they can go 500 the rest of the way, in which well, case they don't, they don't gain ground on those teams. They've got to beat Edmonton to give themselves a playoff berth period and then get the crossover. I, I think what you're telling me is that's like, the most realistic yeah, path. The crossover is still available. Although it should be noted that Montreal, Toronto and uh, Hamilton have a combination of eight games where they're playing each other, I think in, in the remaining part of the schedule, meaning that, one of those teams is going to win and they're pretty damn even right now. And the bad part about them being even is the riders at four wins uh, and those two teams that go three and two wins, it doesn't take much for them to catch up to the rider record at this particular point, which, uh, which speaks to your point of how critical that Edmonton game is to at least uh, say that uh, to, to at least have that ability for the crossover. So I guess the question I'm asking you, under the circumstances, all things being equal and East teams playing East teams and, and being able to uh, build things. I don't think Ottawa is in the mix, by the way, but I could be wrong about that. Is that crossover? They just want a game, though, so they're, they're on a roll yeah. as Eastern teams. <laughs> as Eastern teams go. Uh, uh, is that crossover going to be available? And let's talk about that in terms of how absolutely pivotal uh, this uh, the next game after the bye week is going into Edmonton. Pretty pivotal game, by the way, in if uh, in BC versus Edmonton this Saturday night, because if Edmonton actually wins that, that puts even more heat on the Riders. But um, but uh, certainly after the bye week, it becomes a pivotal win. But let's first talk about, is that crossover going to be available to anybody in the West, either Edmonton or uh, Saskatchewan under circumstances, or is it a little closer than we think? Or is yeah, it just a given a that someone's going to get a crossover there. and it's the, it's the dogfight between the Riders and the uh, Elks right now as to who gets it? Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, um, that's the problem. I think it's, it's easy to look at the, the East and say, well, they're just hapless because um, they're bad. But at some point, they, somebody, somebody's got to win those games. It's, uh, it's uh, reminds me of a, like an old Ken Lacusta Willie DeWitt fight. Somebody's going to win, but who cares, right? But they're still, they're still going to win. So uh, the East teams, I think the, the, they're going to have phantom records to a point because they're going to end up playing each other. Um, but I still think of the Rough Riders or any kind of team at all, they'll, they're going to be able to manufacture enough wins to, by the end of the year to be able to overtake the third place team in the East. I don't think that's a high expectation, but my goodness, you know, if they come out of the, out of the bye week and lose to Edmonton and suddenly mm, that just, it just becomes really ominous very quickly. This Edmonton game a few weeks ago seemed to me to be kind of a, uh, okay, here's your free space on the bingo card, but you've seen some things from Edmonton. You know how Chris Jones can absolutely uh, salivate at the thought of driving quarterbacks crazy, some of whom he coaches and some of them were on the other team. Uh, <laughs> um, ask Gary and Durant. Um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, it could, uh, Chris Jones against that offensive line could be a real mismatch in favor of Edmonton. Suddenly the Rough Riders are four and five at starting four and one, and it just gets really ugly around here. I think the Rough Riders need a win against Edmonton for no other reason, just to calm the waters and to and to to build in some kind of reinforcement and confidence because they're not playing like a very confident. 
Of what's the path to that win right, right now in Edmonton? Do you see in two weeks as critical as it is? Is it a better showing from the offensive line and keeping uh, the Edmonton D line in check? Is 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 it come down just to the line of scrimmage in in, in that particular game? Yeah, like when you look at when the Rough Riders were in Edmonton on June 18th, they won 26-16, and Jamal Morrill ran for 126 yards. And as maligned as this offensive line has been, one of the things they've done pretty well, not consistently, but the best thing that they've done is is run block. So it would stand to reason that going into Edmonton against a team that's proven to be vulnerable to the run uh, with a hobbled quarterback and uh, a team that, and an offensive line that isn't as adept at protecting the passer, they've got to get the run game going again. If they can go into Edmonton and, and, and get the run game going again, then you got play action. Then you got some things that can buy your quarterback some time. And they, they seem to be really, offensive coordinator Jason Moss seems to be really in erratic in terms of how, the degree to which he embraces the run. It's been the most effective part of their offense this year, but it hasn't been the, the part of the offense that they've emphasized consistently. When they have emphasized it, I think it's generally gone well. Uh, but um, if they can go into Edmonton and, and, and get Jamal Morrow going again, if Frankie Hickson is is, is uh, back to 100% and they can get the two running backs uh, alternating again, uh, that would be the most crucial thing. Because, I, you know, Cody Fajardo, it's, if his knee is going to get any better at all, it's not going to be right away. So, uh, the, the, I mean, they've got to they've keep Cody as healthy as, as he can be, and he's not going to get hit if he's just handing off the ball. And if they can create a lot of second and four situations – then you've got the entire playbook, and then you can throw the quick passes and, uh, and uh, again, protect your quarterback. But if you're in second and nine, second and 10, second and 11 consistently, good night. And, uh, you know, we'll be, we'll be doing season, we'll be doing a wrap-up edition of the rider season in, in mid-September. Yeah. So, well, I, I, I think we're getting after the banjo to... bowl. We'll talk again about your bombers. <laughs> <laughs> I won't say anything. I can't in this province. Uh, I guess we pretty much have to wrap up this. Anybody you've pretty much to... said anything you've wanted to say for 40 years. You don't yeah, want to. Uh, that's true. To exercise that's... restraint. Honest to God, the writers are the only thing that's holding this province together right now. I swear to God. Uh, like I, I need to write a column about that in terms of how if if there's only one thing in the province that still reunites us, it's the riders. And right now it's it seems to be worry over the riders and and everything else. Hey, you know what? We we have to wrap this up, but we walk our dogs every day, and this is pretty much the conversation that we have on a daily basis when we walk our dogs. So maybe we should just invite people to join us on our dog walk, and they can. We, we should. Extend. Candy's very nice, and Juno's yeah. very nice. Yeah, and, and they can just sort of enjoy. And Penny, it. when she joins us, yeah. in her, a walking in her rider rumblings and, and everything else. I really enjoy this, Rob. <laughs> this was a lot of fun, and as I say, this is kind of what we talk about every day, and uh, it, it's enjoyable. It's it's actually kind of fun to talk to you because you're just the best, and and you. You know this oh, inside well. out. So thanks, thanks so much for inviting well, me. Well, maybe I hope I haven't uh, demonstrated, provided any evidence to the contrary. It's been so <laughs> cool to, I've kind, of, I've kind of wanted to do this for a while, and uh, with Murray McCormick on holidays uh, this week, it was just a, it was a really uh, irresistible temptation to, to bring you in and, and uh, uh, between us we got, seventy five years at the Regina Leader Post. Yes. Uh, Seventy three of them are yours, but. Uh, <laughs> You ain't no rookie, buddy. <laughs> uh, July 31st was the 35th anniversary of, of the day I was hired. Well, so, uh, I wouldn't be signing you to long-term my... contracts right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, actually, I just, 
I just uh, I just threw some money into some three-year GICs. Is that a bad idea? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, it's locked in till twenty twenty. What are we? Twenty twenty-five. So um, <laughs> let's cross our fingers on that one. Let, let's hope um, for the best. To... Thanks so much for inviting me, Rob. I hope I oh, can do bro, this again sometime. It's an absolute pleasure and an honor to have you with us, Dale. And. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> By the way, you got a new book out. Uh, yeah, tell us about your new book, Dale. Um, yes. uh, yeah. I'm going to try and preserve my career uh, by reading this thing that I'm duty-bound to recite, and uh, hopefully this salvages everything. If you enjoy the podcast, thank you. And please leave a review and a five-star rating. It helps us grow the podcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to send us a question, you can email me at uh, rvanstone at postmedia.com. We'll read it on the show. And you can follow me on Twitter at Rob Vanstone. Uh, Murray, where can we follow you on Twitter? It's always amusing. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. I always love doing these with Murray McCormick. Take care. <laughs> <laughs> you too. It's been a it's been a thrill, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you uh, uh, next week. And yep. uh, nothing will have changed in Ryderville, presumably, but we'll be looking ahead to the other. Thanks for your time, Murr. Thanks, everyone, and uh, take care. Thank you.